Hello. <laughs> There's always like a five second delay from going to turning it on and it actually starting. So there's always, I always have a not very uh, intelligent com expression on my face before it starts. But hello. Surprised that we are actually able to work technology. <laughs> right? There was, we would have started this about half an hour earlier if Google Plus hadn't completely changed their layout. And thank God I noticed this really tiny link on the bottom of the page that said, return to Google Plus Classic. I was like, oh, yes, please. <laughs> but hello, I am uh, Michelle Levis. Um, this is Wine, Women, Words. And uh, we are uh, launching our very first video on our own YouTube channel tonight. Um, so exciting changes are happening for Wine, Women, and Words this month. Yeah, we're actually getting more professional. I know. We're, we're striking out like on our own. Um, okay. We were originally posting all of our episodes on um, the school papers website for my university, which is National University. But we have decided that it's time to branch off and do our own thing. So here we are. And with me, of course, is Diana. Hello. Hello. And Diana is the creator of uh, Creating Her Story, her fascinating blog about women and history. And I love it. And she just, <laughs> you want to tell, tell us about the blog post that you just did? Because I'm still loving it. Oh, I'm glad you love it. I did um, a blog post. I like to try to put a little bit in there about my own writing um, journey and learning and venting. And one such vent was um, learning, looking at um, robbing our characters of tragedy, which we're going to look at some tragedies tonight. <laughs> but um, with it, you have this, um, with our own writing, with our stories, we have to be able to let our characters get hurt and fall down, skin their knees, have a tragedy happen to them. Otherwise, you don't feel connected to them. They have, they lose their human edge and, are, and it's robbing them and it's robbing our readers. Mm -hmm. Yes, I recall one book. Um, I'm not going to say what it is, but the vampire sparkled. Uh, <laughs> and At this point, we don't need to mention it. <laughs> and the, the end was just, I mean, no offense to anyone who loves the book and no offense to the writer because I, I know how difficult it is to be willing to hurt your your babies mm -hmm. in a book, not in real life. Um, but it was just no one died. No one. It was just like, oh, okay, well, big misunderstanding. My bad. Goodbye. But you <laughs> have to be willing to to kill your characters, or I mean, and if not kill them, make them suffer. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Like the example I used was a character I got to create um, named Louisa. And I, I loved her character. And I loved, I, she was the kind of person I wanted to be friends with. And I really enjoyed her and her friendship with Anita. And then when the time came for her exit, I really wanted her 
to go off and have this happy life. I couldn't change the fact that her husband dies because being doing historical fiction, there's some things you just can't change. You have to kill off characters. Um, but then it was just like, I wanted to go have this happy life happily ever after. And I just couldn't, it just, the story didn't feel right. I wasn't, wasn't meshing properly. And so I had to give myself permission to give her um, a tragedy to make things worse, to give her a sick and dying child to have all of this crap just heaped on her and her just turn inward and just trying to figure out what's going on with her own life mm-hmm. that she just, she couldn't have a happy ending. She had to have a tragedy. And well, that's what um, I had gone a couple months ago. I went to a book signing by um, one of my favorite authors, Emily Giffen. And she was talking about, how she would that in her mind for certain characters there were endings that she wanted them to have like she wanted in one book she wanted these two characters to end up together but no matter how many times she tried writing that ending it just there are other endings that characters are destined for so if you try to force a happy ending on a character that doesn't doesn't get one your writing is going to come off kind of Mm -hmm. stiff Mm -hmm. so you have to accept the fact that there isn't going to be a happy ending for everyone Mm -hmm. yeah this i haven't reviewed the book yet but i plan on doing so the book that inspired this post um i'm 90 percent sure i'm going to be reviewing it i did a spotlight on it so you all can guess which one it is (laughs) um but yeah, there's in the book the the ending was where it got where it was robbed, mm-hmm. and it just it felt like the main character could have had this beautiful tragedy that would have been such a great selling point for people today, where people you know widow war widows and veterans could reach out and they'd be like, okay, I can sympathize with her, I can really attach to her. But she didn't, and it was just kind of like at the end. And yeah, I just that's what inspired this because I felt like that character was robbed, that story was robbed. I would have liked that story much more if she had gotten if she didn't have a happy ending. Not everybody gets a happy ending in life, not every one of our characters deserves a happy ending. So, well, I am an evil god when it comes to my characters. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think every writer has to be like that a little bit. Yeah, we have to be like that kid with the mic with the magnifier, magnifying glass, and the ants, and we have to be willing to squish them. <laughs> we just we have to. It's like Neil Gaiman. I went to a reading of his last year, and he had said somebody had asked him, you know, if if he had a hard time killing off his characters, and he said. You know, one day I expect to open up my door and all the characters that I've killed to just be there at the, at my door. And they're going to look at me and they're going to go, why? And his response is, I'm sorry. I had to write a story. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a terrible I, I, I took that to heart. <laughs> well, this month we will be talking about probably – 
the master of unhappy endings, um, Mr. Shakespeare himself, because the book of the month this month is the Semper Sonnet by Seth Margulis. Margulis, I, am so I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name. It's Let's Seth. just call him Seth. Okay, we're going to call you Seth. <laughs> we're going to be informal here. <laughs> so, yes, this is the book of the month. I have started it already, and it's amazing. If you want to get an idea of the book, go ahead and go to Creating Her Story. I've got a review up on there um, that I did back in June, I think it was. Either Jennifer, so. take a look at. There's a menu that says reviews. It should be in there. Um, I love the book. It was a fantastic book, and it was one of those books that just screamed Michelle. Like reached through the pages, <laughs> took me by the throat, and was like, "You need to share this with Michelle, otherwise, I will kill you." So, and yes, it's true. It's <laughs> it has everything that I love in books in it and it's it's fabulous so far mm -hmm. so we've decided so let's talk about oh you oh. are you gonna we're, we're just introducing it we're not doing the actual reading parts or um well actually we probably could have talked about this before but <laughs> since there are five thursdays in the month of september i figured this would be the introductory episode for the book and then we would start doing the readings for the last ones sounds good and with all if all goes well we will have someone very special plant joining us for the last episode to join us in the conversation to talk all things shakespeare and to talk about the book itself yes <laughs> so in honor of the semper sonnet and william shakespeare we are doing a month on Shakespeare. Yay, Shakespeare. I don't know about you, everybody else out there, but I am a huge Shakespeare fangirl. Um, it's like a father-daughter thing for me and my dad. Um, we get together at least once a month, and we sit down and we watch a Shakespeare play together on TV. We, I love all of the different movies that are out there, and we pick one. It, we take turns picking one each month. He usually picks the historic ones or the tragedies, and I usually pick the comedies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been fun doing those with him. Well, I remember I was probably about mm, maybe 11 or 12, and my uncle, who is a, he's a, a veteran and a... Um, an author who wrote um, a book, a, a series of short stories about the trials that he, um, oh, he was a judge, so he oversaw um, trials during World War II, I think. Ooh. I could be wrong. I think he was in World War II, and then he was a judge in Vietnam. Hmm. But anyway, we need to research this and get back to us. Yeah, he uh, he's a fascinating person, but he he and I books were our thing and he gave me this massive collection of Shakespeare plays. Mm -hmm. And I would read like one a week with him. We would get together and read together. 
And that's pretty much how I got into Shakespeare was when I was around that age with him. Um, But, and, you know, a lot of people may not like Shakespeare because he's kind of heavy sometimes. It's reading the actual Shakespeare books. It's like reading another language. Shakespearean English, it's, it's, it is a whole completely different language, even though a lot of the words that we use today are derivatives of words that he, he himself created. We, the way they talk and the rhyming and the old English, you have to really get into it and fully understand it. That's why in the future weeks, we're also going to be discussing the great, um, some movies. I think next week, maybe. We're going to discuss so. our favorite, yeah, our favorite Shakespeare uh, adaptations in film, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So if you don't like to read Shakespeare, you can actually watch Shakespeare and get a kick out of these. Yes, and so tonight um, we are going to talk about why Shakespeare is still relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the themes that he talks about in or the, that he discusses in his plays. There are themes and issues that people deal with every day in real life and that literature deals with every day in the literary world. So we have, it actually worked out really well because Diana has created her list, which is Shakespeare's plays. Mm-hmm. Um, for the themes. And I've created my list of themes with modern books. So we have all bases covered for Shakespeare yes. and his themes tonight. I'm sorry, guys. I, I'm so ADD when it comes to getting myself settled. Okay. All right. I think we're good now. So, <laughs> you want to start? Sure. Um, I'm starting off with the common themes that we have, and I'm going to go into the most juiciest one, is ambition. So many of his plays dealt with ambition, and that's like that saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And he, there's some plays where um, he looks at how dangerous ambition can be, like Julius Caesar, um, especially with the speech that Brutus gives. First, he's saying that Brutus is not an ambitious man. And then goes back and kills him for his ambition and whatnot. And then, of course, the most famous ambitious man of them all, Macbeth, where ambition just destroys him, destroys his, he and his wife are consumed by it. And he was this great, wonderful leader at one point. And then because of ambition, he's no longer said wonderful leader. And, I mean, there's murder, there's all sorts of wonderfully juicy things in it that you see today. How many politicians do you see that you have this the story of Macbeth happen? And Julius Caesar with assassinations. Um, Hamlet is another great story that involves ambition. Um, in Hamlet which is one of my favorite plays. I think it's my favorite of the dramas, I guess. And pretty sure it could be considered a tragedy because, I mean, spoiler alert, everybody dies. That's like every Shakespeare play. <laughs> Almost every comedy. Everybody dies. Um, 
but you have his uncle was so ambitious that he he killed his brother gets into bed with his sister-in-law and then you have hamlet who is just this oh your turn now yes (laughs) this rebellious prince who is just so upset by it so then you also have the hollow crown series especially with henry see richard the second henry the fourth and henry the fifth the ambition that happens there and then um richard the third which if you are a tudor fan <clears throat> michelle have you read richard the third yet i haven't no oh you oh. I'll put it on my to-be-read list. It put on your to-be-read list, and then next week we'll discuss the movie that you need to watch. Actually, I'll, okay. send, I'll send you the link, and you can watch it before the next movie, because it's Richard III with, um, oh, what's his face? Um, not Gandalf, but the, um, yeah, Gandalf, young Gandalf. He plays Richard Aww. III, and the time is set in the 1940s. So it's Shakespearean language. In the 1940s, so you have this 1940s like war setting and design setting, and if you are a fan of the Tudors, you'll know that Richard III is blamed for killing the two princes that were the White Queen's sons, and right. then and then um, Henry the Fourth was it? No, Henry the Seventh kills Richard III and then becomes king, and then he has a daughter named Elizabeth, and we all know her. <laughs> so Richard the Third is the story of you know the Richard who um, usurped power and killed those boys, and it's just such a good play and the ambition that he has to get to the crown and how it destroys him. So Michelle, your next list. Well, mine. So I have themes, and then I've I've picked my books that. Uh, fit into those themes. Now, my favorite Shakespeare play, and I really only realized that it was my favorite while I was researching for tonight, but I love Othello. Mm. I just saw that this summer. I don't know why. It's not a happy story, but but I just love it. I love the characters. I love love Othello, and Mm -hmm. Iago is just like wonderfully evil. <laughs> I love him. He's one of those villains you could really get behind, especially when Kevin Branagh played him. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Anything really that involves Kevin Branagh, I am in love with. So there's that. <laughs> so I have for one of the themes is his is deception. Really, you have you know all these layers of characters that you start seeing through their play, through his plays as you know, that you get further into the acts, you start seeing all these layers and you Mm -hmm. see just the, you know, the blurring between reality and deception and, and you just start seeing how complex everyone really is. So for, the, my pick for that theme is Gone Girl by Jillian Flynn. Mm-hmm. I see. I see that. Um, it's just uh, one description after another, really, in that one. 
with her, I mean, with that book, I don't, I want to give the ending away for anyone who hasn't read it or seen the movie, but the characters, both, both of the main characters, the husband, Nick and the wife, why can't I remember her name right now? Um, Amy, both of them have two completely different sides to them and you just by the end of the book like the end of the book leaves you disturbed (laughs) (laughs) um as does the movie but it's a really good read um don't expect a happy ending because there is not a happy ending tragedy (laughs) exactly um and another theme for um from Shakespeare's plays is conflict, which, duh, from, in in my favorite, in Othello, you, you have Othello and Iago, and Iago just messing with Othello's mind and twisting him until he doesn't even believe his own wife anymore, and, and then, of course, I mean, I've I've read Shakespeare, but not to the agree to the degree that Diana has. So <laughs> I yeah, I have not read it to the degree that some of my friends have because I've had some friends with me be like, "Have I read all the plays yet?" I'm like, "No, I'm sorry, <laughs> only read about a little over half." So I know, you know, all all the big name plays. I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> Well, with Othello, one of the things that we can build off of it that makes that one so great is jealousy. Mm -hmm. How devastating jealousy can be to a relationship because Desdemona, right? His wife was Desdemona, wasn't it? Okay. She loved Othello. She was devoted to him, but he was so jealous and he let the jealousy, he let the deception of Iago get to him and then he let jealousy just take over and... Yeah, it caused a tragedy, and that's something that so resonates today with um, and so much that you see the jealousy permeating with whether it's for other things or with relationships. It's very, very common. Thing. I mean, it's human nature. It you know, if people, mm-hmm. that's what he wrote about. He wrote about human nature. So people haven't changed from when Shakespeare was writing his plays to when. People are writing now. People are exactly the same. We just have shinier toys. (laughs) So for conflict, I picked um, a book. It's called The Husband's Secret by The Husband's Secret by Leanne Moriarty. Um, I love her last name, first of all. Um, (laughs) She is she's an Australian writer. Uh, who has recently broken into the market here in the the U.S. And the first book I read of hers was Big Little Lies, and I took it with me on my vacation to the Dominican Republic. And I would get so mad at those characters that I have (laughs) to put the book down and walk away. But The Husband's Secret is... um, it's all about relationships. Basically, the the synopsis is um, this woman is, you know, happily married woman. She's been married for, you know, however many years. They have three daughters. Um, 
she's cleaning in the attic one day and she finds this letter from her husband that says to my wife to be opened in the event of my death. Now, what woman is not going to read that letter? <laughs> yeah, no, it's the, yeah, they're going to read it. So, of course, she reads it, mm -hmm. and she finds out that he's been hiding the secret from her, and it just spirals out of control and impacts so many different lives. It has impact, impacted so many different lives since he's been keeping this secret for 20-something years. And it's just, I, mean, I can't tell you what the secret is, but it's such a good book. And I love the very, very end. I won't tell you what happened. Well, I can't. You have to read it. because Everybody dies. <laughs> That's what happens. Everybody dies. <laughs> Everyone dies. There is no happy ending. Um, well, it's not too far off, but I mean, it's a tragedy. <laughs> this, you know, these books—they're—they're they're tragic in their own ways. You know, in, in some some small sense, uh, there's you know small senses of closure, but for the most part, these books are tragedies, mm -hmm. which is why they're so perfect for Shakespeare. <laughs> well, looking at a comedy, building off of that co-theme of jealousy that we brought up with Othello. Uh, much Ado About Nothing, which oh, is yeah. my personal favorite Shakespeare play. Um, you have the jealousy that, again, similar to Othello, where um, the, oh, I forget Hero's um, fiance's name. Um, oh, I was just reading about this. Um, doesn't it start with a B? That's Benedict. There's Benedict and Beatrice. Those are two different ones. I'll have to look it up real quick. Um, but he lets the prince, um, talk him into thinking that Hero is cheating on him. And he's so willing to believe that Hero is going to cheat on him when really showing his eyes for him. And he practically ruins her reputation. And, um, let me see if it comes Claudio. out. Yes, thank you, Claudio. And... He's so willing to just um, to believe it that it practically destroys him. It makes her sick, and it tears people apart. But unlike Othello, um, much to do about nothing has a happy ending <laughs> for a change. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, another really good um, thing. Uh, theme that Shakespeare has is conflict of age because mm -hmm. parents really just don't understand. <laughs> I know probably in like, you know, 14 years from now, I'm going to hear that. And I swear I do. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't, you just don't get it, mom. I know. It's going to be different worlds, slightly different worlds, slightly different experiences for them. You're going to understand some, but not everything. And I mean, just don't be like Romeo and Juliet's parents. <laughs> <laughs> when she brings boy a home, uh, boy home with her that you just hate, do not drive her to want to commit a joint suicide. And, I'll do my best. Yeah, yeah. Don't create some sort of family rivalry between the two. Nope. 
Yeah, you know. So there's, you know, that. And then Henry V is a really great example of that, too, where he was a pretty much a party boy. And, you know, Henry IV had taken over from Richard II, I think it was. Uh, yeah, and, you know, Henry IV is this upstanding, good, you know, king, and then he's got this son who basically goes out and drinks and parties the whole time and is not responsible at all until the time comes where dad passes away and he has to actually step up to the plate and be king of England. And it's played really well. And it's that it's an ultimate conflict and it's an ultimate um, coming of age story too. Um, I have your list. So I have the, the list of plays that I need to review because. <laughs> or watch the plays on uh, TV too. That, works. that too. Mm-hmm. I guess if I have to watch movies, the trick is well, to stay awake for them. The Brown series. Um, Tom Hiddleston makes a wonderful Henry V. I just love him. I wish, is he still going out with Taylor Swift? Of course. <sighs> Tom. Well, we can look at another thing that really um, Shakespeare was a first, you could say, and I'm not too familiar with the Greek plays, but I'm pretty sure Shakespeare was the first to cover it, was the gender bend. Mm-hmm. Um, where you had characters actually cross-dressing as, and trying to play off as, you know, men and women. I'm sorry, the little nose that you see popping up is Lilo. She decided <laughs> to go on that. Because um, you can't have my pod- this podcast without a puppy or a kid. Nope. <laughs> my in. kids are sleeping, so your puppies <laughs> have to step in. Yes, yes, they have to distract us somehow. Um, where you don't, you know, back in the time of Shakespeare, women weren't allowed on the stage. And so you had the men playing the female parts, but you, in addition to that, you had uh, a number of characters pretending to be another gender, like Twelfth Night. You have the one character going, pretending she's a girl, pretending to be a boy, and then you have somebody else falling in love with her, thinking that she's a guy. And then you also have when she's a girl, you have the guy going after her. And so you have this whole so much confusion. It is. And it's very modern and it's and it's themed because you see a lot more of that today. And then of course there's As You Like It, which I have not seen or read yet. It's one of the few I actually haven't read or seen. So I can't talk too much about that, but I do know that is another gender bend. Well, I have for one of Shakespeare's, I feel like, favorite themes is revenge. Oh, yes. Who's, how can that not be anybody's favorite? It Revenge is so, if you want to write it and, and you write it well, it's just, I just picture, like, any author who writes revenge stories to be sitting in front of their laptop or journal or quill and parchment for Shakespeare. Exactly. Just sitting here like this. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, Hamlet in revenge and um, Mercutio in 
Romeo and Juliet. I mean, this guy was the comedian of the play, and mm-hmm. he died cursing them for as his revenge. Mm-hmm. And revenge can be so wonderful to read if if mm-hmm. they know how to do it. It can. It's awesome. Yes. We sound so sick and twisted, don't we? We're talking about killing characters and how what we're writers. <laughs> so for in the spirit of revenge, I have the and we've talked about this book before, The Memory Painter by Gwendolyn Womack. Yes. <laughs> um, you might have to make that a book for the month. Um, because I feel like I need to reread it. I read it so fast. It was just I inhaled it. I read it in two days, and it, I swear I had nothing to do with the fact that I was supposed to review it. Um, <laughs> and I picked it up, like, wait. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to finish this in time for the review. I have to keep reading it. But it helped that I kept wanting to turn the pages and kept wanting to find out what was going to happen next. And, yeah, within 24 hours, 48 hours, I was finished with the book. I mean, this is a book that, it's a story about revenge that spans centuries. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Not just centuries. Let's say over a millennium, really. And so they go yeah, back to the dawn of time. Different, it spans civilizations. <laughs> yes. And, I mean, it goes back. It starts in, and when it goes all the way back, it's in Egypt, right? The Egyptian mm-hmm. time. That's mm-hmm. when it actually all begins, but... Ancient, ancient, ancient Egypt. And it's just... I mean, the I would love to talk to that author because the amount of research that went into history and the cultures of that history and art... And mm-hmm. Again, it is that was one of those books that everything I love about books was in it. Except for maybe like the really super sarcastic bad guy. I love mm. the super sarcastic bad guy. Oh, then, then yeah. This <laughs> but so wonderful for you. Yes. All right, this one's fun. <laughs> and for um, my, the last theme that I picked was transformation because his characters, um, he, he has his characters grow throughout his plays, whether they evolve to destruction. Well, I guess that's devolving then. So he either starts characters up here and brings them down or he builds them to greater heights. Mm -hmm. I wish I had a super intelligent sounding example, but right now I can't think of anything. <laughs> but the two books that I picked, I'll go through them really quickly um, for transformation. The first one is by Emily Giffen because I love her. Um, and it is um, Something Blue, which is the sequel to her her first novel, Something Borrowed. Um, it's a total transformation. Her The two main characters start out two completely different people that cannot see eye to eye on very much basically. And they've known each other their whole lives. 
to a point where they realize that they're not as different as they always thought they were without giving away the ending. Um, and the other one is the one that I just read and it just came out. Um, I don't know if it was recent, but I just found out about it was the woman in cabin 10, which is by Ruth Ware who wrote in a dark, dark wood. This is her second book. Um, just as addictive as in a dark, dark wood. Um, it had a little bit more of that paranoid trapped feeling. Um, I've noticed she has a, a theme in her books where she likes to isolate her characters. Uh-huh. You know, in, in her first book, they're in that house in the middle of nowhere. Talk about putting under a microscope. <laughs> and under the magnifying glass. And uh, in it, the woman in cabin 10, it's on a cruise ship. So she likes to have her characters stuck where they they have nowhere to hide. Um, but essentially what this book is about is um, a woman is, she's a reporter, um, a travel writer for a travel magazine, and she goes on this um, inaugural cruise for, on, for a new cruise line. Um, and it's all invitation only to, you know, to review the cruise, get word out, whatever. And she goes back to her room one night and she thinks she hears a woman scream in the cabin next to her. And she looks out the window and, and then she hears a splash and she looks at her window and she thinks she sees blood on the window next door. But then security comes, and of course, the room is fine. Nothing, no blood, nothing. And they tell her that there was no woman in that cabin, even though she saw a woman in there earlier that night. So the whole story is about her trying to find this woman and trying to figure out if there's a killer on board. And there's many different transformations going on there there are a handful of characters that evolve and it's really good and the ending is hmm. so you should check it's it out it's on my list of things to read possibly in october because usually that's when i go for my mysteries yes you have a couple summer mysteries and then you've got to have the thrillers for october <laughs> so i think those were my list do you have any other plays um no i think that's pretty much it i think we've quite a bit Quite a bit of the place. I was gonna say, and I'm not, I'm drinking wine. I know this. You're not drinking wine tonight. I know. I went food shopping the other day, and I was I used to be okay. I used to be really good at doing sixty dollars a week on food shopping, and hmm. then I got all fancy and I started cooking like really good meals that required actual ingredients. Uh-huh. And that budget doubled. Yeah. So this week I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to $60 a week. So mm-hmm. I walked past the wine section at Target because I'm fancy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll skip just because I want to keep it in my budget. But mm-hmm. I still cleared $100. So I should have yeah. bought this. Usually it's, I'm usually about $100 a week. And I've always been one of those who's always cooked. So we'll have to discuss off air. Yes. 
Well, I picked up a great little bottle of wine. I went with a Sauvignon Blanc. It's Brewer's Reserve. It was um, slightly um, more expensive than Tupac Chuck. And on sale, yes, Lilo. Yes, there's wine there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but she's very... Oh, girl. My bottle. Yeah, it's my bobby. Um, but it's a really good, really light wine. And I went with a Sauvignon Blanc because, you know, Shakespeare, and I got to sound fancy. <laughs> 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 our logic makes sense to us and that's what matters yes yes so this month um we haven't really done it before where we have a a month-long theme but i'm pretty excited about talking about shakespeare for the month um next week we're we are gonna do we're gonna wander into the world of film for an episode and do our favorite adaptations. Yes, I love movies just as much as I love books. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm gonna really enjoy this. I'm gonna have so many movie recommendations. Um, some expected, some maybe not. Mm-hmm. Oh, the intrigue. <laughs> and of course, um, I mean we have our own YouTube channel now. There is one. What's the link to that? Yes. We'll do all the links. We'll have a link to Diana's blog if you want to check out her her, uh, new piece on why we need tragedies. We totally do, because then I'm also going to be posting one either tomorrow or Saturday, um, depending upon uh, how much I can get done tonight. And I'm going to be looking at um, how a book blogger does it, how I get so many books that I get. because, frankly, if I actually purchased all of the books that I read, we would be broke. Yeah. So <laughs> That's why I started going back to the library. Yeah. Well, the library is a big thing for me. And, um, you know, I'll be talking about that and some of the things that I do to keep my blog organized. Because, really, you've got to be organized when you're doing a blog. Mm-hmm. Yes. And <laughs> journals. Yes. So... Um, if you guys have any um, any suggestions, any themes we haven't talked about, any plays you want to hash out with us, um, Diana might be your better bet with the plays, <laughs> but I'm happy to join in. Uh, you can always talk to us on Twitter um, using the hashtag WineWomenInWords, and I'll include our handles in the details for you. And if you want to, um, if there's a theme that we missed that you think we should have talked about, yeah, so I'm sure there are. Those are just the big ones that came out for me and Michelle. So and I'm sure there's a few that we missed. Oh, I'm absolutely. And uh, <laughs> if you have any Shakespeare fun facts that you want to share, because why not? We're- <laughs> So thank you for joining us tonight, and um, we'll see you guys next week. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.